and the fullback. Hillman cuts it inside, gets in the end zone, but the ball came out. Did he cross the plane of the goal line? No, he didn't as the Seahawks have recovered. And there's your guy again, Brandon Browner. Another big play. No flags. Hey, Don, do you know who's on the show today? Me? Well, actually, I was going to say, I was hoping you'd say no, so I could say me neither. Oh. Because like, as of right now, I think I know who's on the show today, but it's, good. it's subject to change. I potentially. think it's good, too. It could be great. And I guess we like to sometimes open the door to our peel back the curtain, maybe is the way to say. Right, right. Give a look behind the scenes at the way the Sportscasters is put together. And it's being put together in an interesting way this week. We believe we have Season 3, Episode 23, August 20th, 2013, for you today, featuring interviews with the play-by-play man for ESPN, Mike Tirico. Phenomenal, right. And the two, now two guys, that put together the Audible blog on SI.com, our friend Chris Burke and his new partner, Doug Farrar, formerly of the Shutdown Corner blog on Yahoo.com. Right. That, I would say, is 99.9% that Burke and Farrar will be on the program. And we're going to record that tomorrow morning, basically the day after we're recording this. And hopefully that afternoon... We'll be recording the interview with Mike Trico, and then this will go up, and everyone will listen to this part and say, well, why did they have to go through all this? <laughs> yeah, we have no reason to believe that won't happen, but stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened, and usually we know about those strange, strange things before we record this. Right. But that was impossible this week, so there's a chance that we might tell you Mike Trico's on, and then when we get to the first interview, you'll find out it's someone different. That's true. So let's hope we got Tariko, Burke, and Farrar for you today. Last week we had Jeff Passan and Brett Martin. You can find that on our website, www.sports-casters.com. Tweet us, let you know what you think about the shows, at sports underscore casters, or email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. We were kind of putting together a kind of a rough outline for what's left this month today. Mm-hmm. And it looks like next week we're going to do kind of a college football preview show. Right. Hopefully featuring our first ever interview with Andy Staples from SI.com. That is extremely subject to change. <laughs> uh, Joe Lemire is also going to be on that show next week to talk a little bit about baseball with us. And then the following week would be the NFL preview show, which I think is going to have interviews with Richard Deitch, who will kind of give us the media side of the NFL season. Our buddy Dave Damashek, Okay. And a home run we're trying to hit. Right, right. Yeah, it'd be... Uh, as far as people that are fans of the podcast, so have the, the podcast favorites, Richard Deitch and Damashek, and also, like you said, a, a potential home run for people that maybe aren't familiar with the podcast. So Yeah, so a big month ahead. Uh, lots of stuff to do. Lots of stuff to do today. We got three things. We got our interviews, whatever they might be. We got some interesting stuff on Five on Fantasy, and we're going to close with one last thing. So let's get this thing started. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. 
issue, the oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. The pretend NFL is still going on. Never ending. Dragging on still. And uh, unfortunately, players are still getting hurt and suspended. It's like an R.E.M. song. Yes, everybody hurts. And uh, the Bills, who have kind of avoided it, other than Stevie Johnson kind of tweaking a hamstring or something. He's back on the field today, though, right? He's back. He thinks he may play this this weekend. But uh, E.J., did I say Stevie Johnson? That's you said that that was the one who yes. kind of got banged up, yeah. E.J. Manuel, though, we find out after he has another nice, uh, I was there. nice game. He looked good. He's going to miss the rest of the preseason, and uh, that leaves the door open for Kevin Cobb, who hasn't looked good. He's looked no. inept. Uh, it looks like Tool m- might challenge Cobb for the starting job. How disappointed were you when you found out that he didn't spell his last name T-O-O-L? I don't even know how. It's like T-E-U-L yeah, or something. It's, yeah, it's, it's not very the way confusing. it should be. I have to get used to spelling manual, M-A-N-U-E-L, and not A-L. I keep messing that up, too, so that's very tricky for me. Uh Danny Amendola, fantasy players that have ever drafted Danny Amendola are familiar with this. He has an undisclosed injury. Uh, that's the Patriots for you and his quote day-to-day. I heard he might have got hit on the head in a, in one of his, his last catch of the game. Oh, okay. But that's speculation. Yeah, yeah, the Patriots won't let you know anything either as far as that goes. Le'Veon Bell, foot injury for his Steelers. Yeah, another guy that's interesting in fantasy because he was kind of one of them hot Rookies uh, on a solid team, a decent team anyway. Victor Cruz is in a walking boot, hopeful yeah, for crutches. the opener. Yep. Roger Griffin, uh, Robert Griffin III, still not cleared to play just yet, but getting closer and closer. Yeah, they do believe he'll play week one. We found out Rob Gronkowski Won't. via Adam Schefter would be a real long shot to play week one now. What Does that mean he's more likely for week two or even further beyond I'm, that? Yeah, like, I don't know. It's very interesting this week. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit, but if you have fantasy drafts or have already had a fantasy draft, uh, Arian Foster is a name that'll come up when we get to five on fantasy later. He just he hasn't practiced yet. Yeah, and the anticipation was that he would practice yesterday, Monday. And but instead, he got another injection in his back. In his back, yeah. It originally was something with his leg, and now it's his back. So crazy stuff. This preseason's too long and it seems like the longer it goes the more players getting hurt and suspensions uh antonio smith suspended one game for tearing the helmet off of dolphins player whose name escapes me right now and tried to hit him with it not smart no no uh von miller's suspension which was originally looking like four games richie incognito incognito that's what you're looking for Von Miller, who's supposed to be suspended four games and then was appealing, somehow has done the worst appeal ever and now is now six suspended games. six games. So Think about that. That means he won't be in the lineup until week seven. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Uh, I you guess you'll see his value. You want a statement from uh, Mr. Miller? Sure. The substances of abuse policy requires everyone to comply with the rules. Although my suspension doesn't result from a positive test, there is no excuse for my violations of the rules. I made mistakes, and my suspension has hurt my team, Broncos fans, and myself. I'm especially sorry for the effect of my bad decisions on others. I will not make the same mistakes about adhering to the policy in the future. 
During my time off the field, I will work tirelessly and focus exclusively on remaining in peak shape. I look forward to contributing immediately upon my return to the field and bringing a championship back to the people of Denver. So what does that mean? I mean, if it doesn't mean a positive test, he just, in the goodness of his heart, turned himself in? I mean, I don't, I don't understand. Uh, Albert Breer says, according to two sources, a diluted sample caused the most recent violation. Oh, so maybe he tried to cheat a drug test or something? Very bizarre. I don't know why all sports... And you can't tell me that kids are not going to play sports because of their privacy. Why doesn't every sport just test once a month for every banned substance, for every uh, illegal narcotic, test every player every month? Maybe that would cost a fortune, but you're the NFL. You make a billions of dollars every year. Then there wouldn't be these weird, uh, vague suspensions. I, I don't Von Miller, that's blowing it, man. That's not good. No, especially on a team that's kind of the hot pick for the Super Bowl this year. A young kid that is a superstar yeah, in the league. A yeah. superstar. Uh, a couple QBs named starters. Michael Vick wins the quarterback battle in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's not surprising. but I think that's good news if you're an Eagles fan. That's sure. the guy you wanted to win that. I don't think you wanted Nick Foles to win that. Right. I, and the other one that is surprising to me, not because he won the job, but because I didn't know there was a competition, is Brandon Whedon. That's another good thing for the, for fans of that team. I don't think you wanted Jason Campbell to be your starter this year. Right, right. And if Whedon wasn't going to be the starter this year, what do you what would you do with him? I mean, this 29 is 29 years this old. Is it. Yeah, 29 year old sophomore player. He has looked good in the preseason, though. Reason to be uh, to have some optimism there. That Josh Gordon looks good too. He'll be suspended yeah. for two games, and I think that was kind of always his thing. He went into the supplemental draft, and then he came into the league, looked good. Talented guy just needs to stay out of trouble. Got to get it together. And then maybe one last thing. Do you have anything else on your list? I don't. On, so that one know. last thing is the first-round flop trade that the Chiefs oh, and yeah. the 49ers made, swapping first-round wide receiver draft picks. So the Chiefs send Jonathan Baldwin. Jonathan Baldwin to San Francisco for AJ Jenkins. Yeah. So hopefully, giving those guys a fresh start and maybe a chance to not just be eternally known as busts. Right. Yep. All right. All right. My second thing this week, I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I'm glad it's there. I think we've discussed it a little bit, but Saturday debuted Fox Sports 1, the channel. Um, A lot of fringe sports. I shouldn't say fringe, but maybe tier two sports like uh, NASCAR, UFC type sports. So it's good. It's out there. I'm glad it's there. If you want to know where to find it, it's probably where the speed channel used to be. If you know oh, is it okay? Was. Yeah, because I'm going to look out for it. I've seen a lot of things. Uh, I'm no stranger to Reddit, as we've discussed in the past, and it seems like most of the people on Reddit said, especially the Canadian redditors said, Jay and Dan is the thing to watch. Right, because they're both from Canada. They're both from Canada. Right. They, yeah, Fox Sports kind of stole them away, and they, the Canadians were bummed that they were gone. But I just watched a little bit of clip show on Fox Sports YouTube channel, and they're funny guys. They're kind of like dry. It's like humor that I like. I don't know how it'll work for the masses but uh one thing that was pretty funny one thing that i got to see that i liked was they have a fox football daily show i think that's what it's called too and randy moss is on it and he was great in the segments that i've seen with him and i've heard that he like stole the show at super bowl media days in the past i guess he has a really good personality which is shocking almost yeah because of how immature he comes out it's almost like Mike Tyson, maybe like Mike Tyson in the media, come off came off as kind of a goon and a dummy, but 
then He's now as he gets away from that, yeah. He's... And that's something that Fox Sports is working on, too, is a Mike Tyson six-part documentary series, which is going to debut on Fox Sports on September 22nd, and then the last five episodes will be on Fox Sports 1. All right, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit probably, but what's the difference between Fox Sports and Fox Sports 1? Okay, Fox Sports is what appears on Channel 29. Or what's on the over-the-air station? Okay, so it's and on Fox Sports Fox. One is their okay, you know their cable network. It's just like this has been a presentation of Fox Sports. Okay, right. but Fox Sports One is a twenty-four-hour news or sports network. It's almost like uh, ESPN airs things on Channel Seven or uh, ABC. ABC. Right, right, right. So, okay, right. sure. Yeah, but I'm. I'm glad it's there. Uh, an alternative to ESPN is cool, and I love what the NFL Network does for the NFL, so they have another all-sports network. It'll be interesting to see with what they do with uh, as a hockey fan. I'm curious to see what they do with hockey, because we know that ESPN, once they lost right. hockey, abandoned it. And I know Fox Sports doesn't have hockey either, but it'll be interesting to see how they cover it, if they do. or. If and I think soccer is going to be something that they're going to try to try to really develop and, and be maybe almost the flagship sport of their station, sort of like the NHL is for the NBC Sports Network. Right. Uh, my second thing today, uh, kind of a quick thing. We mentioned a couple weeks ago that the league was getting ready to take over the New Jersey Devils. That's not going to happen because they were bought today by Josh Harris, the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, he and his business partner, David Blitzer, bought the Devils and the lease to the Prudential Center from Jeff Vanderbeek for $320 bucks. Wow. Yeah. What did the Sabres sell for when they sold? It was under $100 million, wasn't it? It was a bargain for Mr. Pagula. Wow. For sure. So, you know, you know what? The only thing I'll say about that is, I mean, that's good. I'm glad the Devils are... Uh, Something of a storied franchise now, maybe maybe annoyingly so for some people during the nineties. It was uh, one hundred and eighty nine million. Okay. Pagula bought the Sabres. Okay. I was thinking of the guy before Galasano probably got an even better deal than that. Right. He, he basically flipped the team. Made a hundred million on it. But uh the one thing I will say is that's good for the league or well, it's good for Devils, good for Devils fans. But the team would have stepped in and owned them. And as much as Sabres fans and the league at large likes to boo Gary Bettman. The one thing he doesn't let teams do is fail for the most part. Uh, he saved the Sabres, he saved the Senators, and he saved now the Phoenix Coyotes. So I know people in Buffalo want to boo him for no goal or whatever. It's just the hip thing to do now is to boo Gary Bettman. But he, he looks out for his hockey markets. He doesn't let them fail. A couple more notes about this. Uh, Mr. Harris said that the 76ers are staying in Philadelphia. I guess there was a rumor that he might try to move the Sixers to New to Newark. Okay. Uh, but that's not the case. He has a lease with the Wells Fargo Center. Um, so they're staying there. He also added that they lost... Uh, he viewed the purchase of the Devils who lost $25 million in the past year and the lease has a chance to turn around a struggling franchise. We've had a lot of success at identifying literally the best, highest quality management teams and then bringing them into situations and letting them do their thing and holding them accountable. And a good example of that is Lou Lamorello is going to stay on, which oh, I think okay. was a great decision yeah, sure. because he's one of the best in the business. Yeah. As much as I question that first round trade this year, that was just a strange move. But uh I should back up real quick on my Gary Bettman tangent and say that I'm sure people out there are saying, what about the Atlanta Thrashers? I, he'll keep your team there if 
the fan base and warrants it. They really want to keep the team there. My last thing this week, I honestly didn't see the play, and uh, but it's interesting. It's been, it's been it. a talk of sports. Yep. Ryan Dempster now has been suspended five games and fined for hitting a rod. And the interesting thing about this is a. He threw like three pitches behind his back. <laughs> well, it looked like on the very first pitch he missed him. Right. Like he was going after him on that first pitch, and A Rod got out of the way. So then he throws a couple more pitches that are balls, but they're kind of in tight. Okay. And it's three zero, and then he just clunks him in the back. Right. It was a thing of beauty. I thought. I now, loved it. The strange thing about this is, I guess Dempster in the past has been quoted as saying something like he he would plunk a, a steroid user. He knows that he I, plays I, with steroid that's, users, right? That's where the, the hypocrisy comes from because he plays with, uh, oh, my God, what's his name? Uh, Ortiz. Big Poppy? Big Poppy. Uh, He's he, a steroider? Wasn't he? I don't know. <laughs> Who can keep track, right? That's, I mean, That's was true. He? Maybe I'm I mean, thinking of the wrong guy. but I didn't think he was necessarily named, but maybe. It, I heard someone on local sports saying, uh, yeah, you've got to have other guys on your team that – were caught before that maybe don't want this brought up and you plunking the 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 face of steroid use in the back is gonna gonna raise some questions i i am totally on board with it this is what i said last week or a couple weeks ago about why are players in the players association not standing up and outing steroid they, they should be doing everything they can to get this out they more than anybody more than the league because these are the players that are losing paychecks to cheaters, basically. But that said, there is some level of hypocrisy to uh, having steroid users on your team and then plunking one on another team. But I guess Dempster's a bit of a meathead. And, one uh, thing you got to do next time, Ryan Dempster, is make sure the guy doesn't take you out to the deepest part of the ballpark a couple <laughs> innings later. <laughs> yeah, they lost the game, too. You can't let A-Rod hit a bomb off you and get that trot around the bases like he did in the same game. You just can't let that happen. Yeah, what is A-Rod doing right now? Like, during, like How stupid does this look that during what he's, his appeal, he, what, he's playing better than he has? Yeah, in, what he's doing is trying to hit enough home runs to pass Willie Mays so he gets another $10 million bonus from the Yankees <laughs> or whatever it it's is. Insane. It's insane how well he's playing while this appeals process goes on. It's just strange that that's allowed in baseball. He's but, delusional. Yeah, I, yeah. He lives on planet A-Rod for sure. It's wild. All right, my last thing, a short one here. I want to send a congratulations out to Dustin Johnson for landing Paulina Gretzky. <laughs> uh, truly a, a, a flower that has probably not bloomed yet. Lovely so congratulations, girl. Dustin. Uh, he took to Twitter Sunday saying, She said yes and included a picture of a large diamond ring on the daughter of Wayne Gretzky. She retweeted it along with several congratulations messages from family and friends. Uh, these two started dating early in the year, I guess. And uh, Paulina and Wayne and Mrs. Gretzky, Janet, uh, has have been at tournaments watching Dustin play. And Dustin took his future father-in-law out at the Pebble Beach National Pro-Am. So, nice. sounds like a nice little family we got going here. Sure. See if she stays off Twitter now. Yeah, no word as to whether or not Dustin will keep Paulina clothed on Twitter. Yeah, good luck. All right, that's it for three things today. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Mike Tirico. 
Our first guest is from Ann Arbor, Michigan, and is a graduate of the famed Newhouse School of Communication at Syracuse University. At Syracuse, he hosted a radio show on WAER, and his first guest was Bob Costas. In 1991, he joined ESPN as the Sports Center anchor. Since joining ESPN, he has covered ESPN's Thursday Night College Football, College Basketball, the NBA, PGA Golf, and of course, Monday Night Football. He is making his second appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster is welcome to Mike Tirico. How's it going today, Mr. Tirico? Hey, good to talk to you. How are you? Thank you for the uh, musical introduction. It's about that time for uh, football season. It sure is. Hey, uh, Bo- uh, President Obama just left Buffalo, New York, where I am, to head to Syracuse, New York. I uh, under- understand that. It's, it's a big day. Matter of fact, the kids are moving in at uh, Syracuse the last couple of days on campus as well. So uh, I've got a friend, my actual college roommate, his daughter is uh, moving in up at Syracuse today. And I said, you know, we didn't have the president show up when, <laughs> when I moved in, so you must be uh, living right. So it's a good day all the way around. I hope the president gets the uh, dinosaur barbecue stop. That's the... The stop of choice for food up in uh, Syracuse the last ten years or so. Yeah, we're finally getting a dinosaur barbecue in Buffalo this fall. All right. Yeah. Good. Good deal. Good deal. Of course. Uh, of course, um, people nationally might not know that the chicken wing is uh, the true roots of the chicken wing are right not too far from you up there in Buffalo at the right. uh, world famous Anchor Bar. That's right. Last time and, he was here, he went to Duff's, which is kind of the other big chicken wing place in Buffalo. Nah, it's not the Anchor Bar. With all due respect, they're <laughs> fine, but the Anchor Bar is it for me. We went. Uh, we did Monday Night Football up there. I think it was the Dallas game. So it was Crazy five game. years ago, right. perhaps. Jaws and uh, Tony Kornheiser. We uh, and our crew. We we did a Saturday night at the Anchor Bar and uh, made sure that everybody on our crew who had not been through Buffalo uh, got a chance to see real real wings in the place where it all began. Did you have a good time with Syracuse hoops last year? I did. A fun season, you know. Uh, covering, I had not covered college basketball for a while and covered the Big Ten last year and uh, absolutely loved it and uh, looking forward to another fun season of that. But it still is uh, has me in a place where I'm not covering college basketball in the Big East or now the ACC, uh, but for maybe a game a year here or there. So it's great to uh, be involved as a fan and root for your alma mater. Uh, you know, people are so, how can you root for teams? I think uh, when you're not covering a sport, it's easy and it's good for us to still root for teams because it keeps me in touch with fans. I don't cover Major League Baseball, but our family goes to a bunch of Detroit Tiger games living in Michigan, and we remain sports fans. And you buy your tickets, and you go to the game, and you, you park where you park, and you buy a food and beer and all that stuff, and it helps you appreciate the customers and how darn hard it is for fans. So it's appreciation for the fans, whether they cheer or boo or loyal to their teams. But got a chance to watch Syracuse uh, in person a few times at the Final Four, and it was a great thrill to uh, see another good season, although it came up a couple of wins short. What do you think about the program's decision to move to the ACC? I think it's great, and I think if you were unsure of how or why, just look at where we are now, where the ACC is unveiling its schedule today, actually, in basketball, and you're looking at Syracuse, North Carolina, Syracuse, Duke, and Notre Dame involved in there, Louisville coming into that mix, and a lot of brand-name big-time schools that are playing against each other. That will be huge events. The Syracuse-Duke game is being played in the Carrier Dome in basketball on the Saturday night before the Super Bowl. And that will be a huge event, get a lot of buzz. Now, Syracuse-Connecticut, Syracuse-Georgetown may have done that, but not the same national cachet. So you've built a great basketball league, and I think to be relevant in football, it became pretty clear with the mismanagement of the Big East in its uh, last days together. 
and really the just disagreement. It's very hard to have Georgetown and St. John's and Villanova at Providence, wonderful institutions, great legacy, but they don't have one-tenth of the interest in what goes on in football that Syracuse and Pittsburgh and the other football-playing schools did. So it was impossible to represent the interest of everybody involved in some sort of a bifurcated conference. So it was ne- necessary. Will we miss Georgetown and St. John's and Villanova and those rivals? Sure we will. But as Jim Beheim said with uh, the great perspective of age, St. Bonaventure used to be a huge rivalry for Syracuse. In the 70s, those games were the biggest games. And you know what? There was something bigger down the road. So there might even be something bigger down the road with Duke and Carolina and Wake Forest and NC State and all those folks as there was with Georgetown and Nova and the other Big East rivals. One more kind of Syracuse question, but it'll transition mm-hmm. to us to football a little bit. So here in Buffalo, we have a new head football coach, Bill Stans, yes. due, and he's uh, the former Syracuse coach, Doug Marone, uh, who was before that uh, the offensive coordinator in New Orleans, which is the team right. that I root for. So I've had this connection with Marone for a long time here. What, what can you say to Bill's fans about what you know about Marone from following your alma mater, and, and what kind of a coach do you think he'll be for Bill's fans here who are starving for something good? Well, showing my and Doug's age, uh, Doug was a classmate of mine at Syracuse. Wow. So I've, I've known Doug I mean, close to 30 years now and uh, followed his time when he tried to play in the league, was with the Jets, was an assistant coach with George O'Leary at Georgia Tech, and on through all of his days of building up a great offensive reservoir but also being around some very good head coaches and understanding how to be just the right head coach for 2010s, and I think he is. I think things will go well. I hope E.J. Manuel hits, because if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance in pro football these days. And I think Manuel might be somebody who can play this style of football. There's a lot of buzz about what Philadelphia is going to do with Chip Kelly bringing the Oregon tempo and style and no huddle. Buffalo's been doing that for these first few preseason games. Now, not a lot of folks nationally have seen that, but I know you guys have up in western New York. And I know it's something what Syracuse did last year with Ryan Nassib, who was drafted by the Giants. Didn't huddle. A lot of plays. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's a struggle. I think things will be better. And I think with the issues the Patriots have had this offseason, the Dolphins, the Jets issues, the Bills have a very good chance to be a 500 team in their division this year and overall this year. And when you get right around that neighborhood, when you're not a three- or four-win team, when you're a six-, seven-, eight-win team, all of a sudden you're a few plays away from get, having a shot at a wild card here down the stretch. So I'm not saying the Bills are going to be a playoff team, but their defensive talent is better. I like what they're doing on offense. I think they're a few years away from building this thing the right way. But with Doug, Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator, Russ Brandon, the president of the team, I think this team has taken the most significant positive steps in the last 10 years. So I'm really excited about what's going on up there. Was Doug Marone ever a guest on that WAER radio show? Uh, you know what? I'm sure I interviewed Doug. I know I called some of his games on that station. As a matter of fact, that just just to sort that out, that's the station where Bob Costas and Marv Albert and Dick Stockton, Ian Eagle, Sean McDonough, Len Berman, and hundreds of others have uh, become play-by-play announcers. The first station many of us called games at. And uh, actually, Marty Glickman is the one who really got us all started in that great tradition. And there's a great documentary coming up on HBO right. about Marty's life. Uh, as an Olympic athlete in some very difficult times in 1936 for the U.S., and then his time as a sportscaster. He's one of the foundation, great foundation 
builders of our industry. So Marty started that Syracuse tradition. Those guys continued. I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to follow. I actually interviewed Bob uh, for my ESPN national radio show the first day that was on, but that show was from Syracuse. So the first day Ah. that my ESPN show went on, which was in the time slot that used to be Dan Patrick and now Scott Van Pelt, I was able to do a show and we had Costas on as one of the guests. So that's where we bring that whole full circle. But uh, it's been a great run to be associated with Syracuse and all those great sportscasters over the years. So as we talk, you're in Baltimore just kind of waiting to broadcast the last preseason Monday Night Football game before you guys get ready to start the regular season with the annual doubleheader this year. I think you guys start with Washington and Philadelphia, which, you know, when that game was announced, people were like, well, I don't know, you know, RG3, he might not be there. You know, maybe Michael Vick isn't the starter, but it looks like you're going to get that great matchup of RG3 versus uh, versus Robert Griffin. But we'll get to that in a minute. The first thing mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you is as you get to the next year here of Monday Night Football and you know, you, you and, and Coach Gruden have been together now for several years, and this thing gets more and more fine-tuned every year. What is it about the broadcast this year that you guys are hoping to build on from years past? Is there something, as you guys evolve it with this crew and this, that you're hoping to, to kind of bring forth? I don't think anything different necessarily. I'm pretty happy with where we were last year, and I think just the more time you spend, the quicker and better you get at things. And there's so much going on in football, uh, you know, day-to-day, week-to-week. I, I've said this before, and uh, I feel even stronger in that belief, and this is not one bit of disrespect, because I'm a huge Chris Collinsworth fan, Troy Aikman fan. So many of the analysts on the NFL games, Phil Sims as well, Mike Mayock, so many of the guys who do the games are so well-prepared. People may not pay attention to uh, Tim Ryan on Fox, who's the analyst with Chris Myers, but Tim does a sensational job of preparation. The game has become so much about preparation, understanding what's going on, for the analyst to explain to the viewers. Well, I'm the luckiest because I've got the best guy in the world. Uh, Nobody is as prepared for a game as John. John was a Super Bowl-winning coach and brings the same level of preparation to the broadcast. The difference now, he doesn't have a team to coach, so he coaches us. So text messages, video that gets sent to us during the week, John is constantly watching, researching, coming up with ideas, new thoughts, new ways to present things, Uh, something that reminds him of the way football was done 25 years ago when he worked for Bill Walsh as a young assistant coach in San Francisco. Nobody's doing that on TV, and nobody has that kind of a reservoir of knowledge having worked with Super uh, Super Bowl-winning coaches like Walsh and Mike Holmgren, and that he's a Super Bowl winner in his own right. So that perspective to come to the table on a game-in, game-out basis, uh, we just know more football than than we all did because John keeps teaching us. So that will allow us to do, I think, an even better job this year of explaining to the fans why it's happening, why it's working, and how to stop it. Now, it seems like the opposite side of that, the general criticism that's brought up about the broadcast is that Sometimes Coach Gruden is sometimes too complimentary to the players. I think maybe there's a perception out there that people think he's still too involved with the league and that maybe he, he, he stops short of, of criticizing mm-hmm. people. What would be your response to that when you see that complaint? Because that's the one that I see most often sure. in regards to the broadcast. I, it, it, and, and I've seen it too. I see a few things. One, it's lazy because it's people who listened to John early on as he was trying to figure out his role and his position. Uh, I would also say go back and listen to John Madden, who was the best at this over the years. How, how credit was John Madden negative and critical? Did he go out and slaughter people for uh, ma- making a mistake on a play? It's all about individual style. You could have a hatchet guy, you could have a praise guy, you could have somewhere in between. 
there's a way to say that a defensive back made a bad play. And in this talk radio era of uh, instant responses, it's easy to say, boy, player X made the worst play ever. He stinks. Or you can say, that was bad technique. That was this. Also on the same play, if it worked for the other team, somebody did a good job. So all those things are rolled into one. It depends which angle you go down. If anybody watched the NFL draft and goes back and listens to John's comments about Deion Jordan, who Miami drafted, you'll know right away that if you think that John is not negative about people, then you have been lazy and you haven't done your job of listening. John was very critical of not just Jordan, but several of the picks in the first round of the draft. I think that comes over time. And I also think John comes from a perspective of, why is everything always negative? Why can't there be positive that's brought to everyone's attention as opposed to negative? And John's, John's really good at picking out what happens on a play, right or wrong. And if it's too positive for people in the world we live in now where everybody's negative and miserable, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll get on that side, that guy's side any time. Right. Uh, but I, I think if people listen closely and if they're intelligent about listening and they're not lazy and go back to an impression they had early on of John, I think they'd be pleasantly surprised if they want criticism to hear what is done right, what's done wrong on plays as we go through it. You know, I think the one interesting thing about being the the broadcasters for Monday Night Football, and I think the Mm -hmm. Sunday Night Football and the Thursday Night Football crew are also in this position where uh, Aikman and and Buck and Nance and Sims, their networks can cherry-pick for them each week the top game. You guys are are locked into a schedule in the preseason, and that schedule is the same. Sunday mm-hmm. Night Football has the flex scheduling. You guys don't. When you look at your schedule, are there some things that, that, really, that, really, that really pique your interest right now? Are there some things that you're like, wow, I'm really looking forward to that week? Or are there some other ones that you think that maybe we're overlooking that you think could mm-hmm. be really, really gems on the schedule? Sure. You know, we spend a lot of time internally and externally wondering, one, uh, sharing thoughts, input back and forth on the schedule. And, and you're absolutely right uh, that – the option to flex on Sunday nights is a big help. They've only flexed out a few times. They haven't flexed many games uh, when you look back to history. I don't know the yeah, numbers. Yeah, it's not of as it, many as you'd think. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 exactly. But, but the ability to do it is there, and you have to trade. You can't flex Monday with Sunday for the simple reason of people buy tickets, people travel from out of town, hotel rooms, logistics, all of that stuff. To, to move a game from day to night, a problem, but much more manageable than to move it from 1 o'clock Sunday to 8 o'clock Monday, to move it fast-forward at about 31 and a half hours. That's hard, that's hard to do and impacts too many things to make it happen. It would be nice if you could make one move by mid-October for games in December. I think that would serve and behoove the fan best. Thursday is almost impossible because of the short week. So we know, we know that going in. And they've balanced that out so everybody has a Thursday that they need to work around scheduling-wise. Uh, you know, w- when, you, uh, when you sit and obsess over a schedule, you can pick out the best games, and sometimes the best matchups turn out to be the worst games. In two different years, uh, over these seven that we've had it, we had uh, New England taking on the Jets one year and Houston uh, another year, and those were late November, early December, and the best regular season matchups you had in the conference by record, like 9-3 and three against 9-3 and three or you know, close records like that for the number one record in the conference at that point. And the Patriots blew both of those teams out in those games. Right. And then you could have what is a poor game on paper turn out to be a very intriguing game. Like when the schedule came out last year, 
so that would be March of 2011, 2012. Nobody thought that Seattle and Green Bay playing in week three would end up being not just one of the memorable moments in the 44-year history of Monday Night Football, but a game that essentially got the officials' lockout result. Ended, right. <laughs> so you can go in with all these preconceived notions of great matchups, and sometimes they don't play out. If you ask me for a game that's a little off the radar, maybe nationally for some folks, uh, that I think will have some intrigue, I'll give you Seattle and St. Louis in, in late October because St. Louis hasn't had a Monday night game. They never get on the national stage. They thought they were good last year, think they're going to be good again. Seattle all of a sudden is a chic pick for people. So that's a game I know the St. Louis folks are pointing to as a significant one. And I'm, I won't bore you going through every line of the schedule, but most of the games have an opportunity to turn out to be a pretty interesting matchup, teams that could be good. Like Detroit plays Baltimore Week 15. Are we going to have the 2011 Lions or the 2012 Lions? Right. That's the difference in will it be a good game, a great game, or, or a stinker. So you just don't know, so you try to just appreciate each one and know that when the ball's kicked off, there's a chance something's going to happen that you've never seen before, which is why sports continues to go up and up in terms of its importance within America. It'll be interesting to see you guys in Cincinnati as well. Have you guys been in Cincinnati? A couple of years ago, couple we were there. Ago, yeah. We had, uh, I think it was Pittsburgh there, and then a few years before that, we had Chad Johnson when he put on the Hall of Fame jacket after he scored his touchdown. Right. Uh, that, that faux Hall of Fame jacket, which is probably going to be the closest Chad gets <laughs> probably, yeah. to putting that jacket on, although he had a terrific career. It was <laughs> not something that will keep him forever in Ohio, over in Canton as opposed to Cincinnati. So, yeah, th- those people, I know some uh, folks where we spend vacation time are from Cincinnati, and they're all fired up. Uh, to get the Steelers there in week two, and James Harrison going up against the Bengals and all, all that stuff. The the unique thing about Monday nights, which goes back to the ABC days and has continued, for whatever reason, people make it like a half day at school. Remember those half days at school? They were just the best. They were, yeah. Well, people, people treat work on those Mondays like half days, and they cut out at noon. They go to a late lunch, and then they go tailgate at the stadium, and they know that the whole league – in terms of fans, are watching their city that night. It's not the 19th game on the schedule that day. They also know that for the players, all their peers are watching that game that night. So Monday night still has a uniqueness on the stage of being the end of the week, the one that all 30 other NFL cities and fan bases and teams are watching. And that has always heightened the Monday night stage, and that's been true since uh, September of 1970 when it started with the Jets at Cleveland and continues on, thankfully, here in 2013. You know, you mentioned the infamous Fail Mary play last year, and uh, last time you were on our show, I had the great privilege of being able to discuss uh, Steve Gleason's pump lock and the Superdome <laughs> week three of the 2006 season, and what a great memory that was for me as a fan and I'm sure for you as a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. What are some other moments uh, from your time at Monday Night Football that, that really stick out as, as really great moments in your career and, and moments in the yeah. Uh, it's interesting. So I think Aaron Rodgers running for that touchdown uh, in his first game in the post-Favre era, uh, going up against, uh, going up, going up that night against uh, so much public sentiment because there was still the Favre jerseys and the feeling in Green Bay. I was so happy for the individual because I thought every time Aaron had a mic stuck in his face after that, he handled it really well. He could have uh, been critical of Favre, critical of the Packers, critical of the fans. And he was none of the above. So that moment sticks out. The Patriots trying to keep their then-undefeated season, which eventually ended with the loss to the Giants of the Super Bowl, 
uh, right here where I am now in Baltimore. And they really had one of their closest calls, and the game came down to the wire, and Jabbar Gaffney caught a touchdown in the left corner of the near end, left near corner of the end zone uh, in the last couple of minutes. And during that game, we had Don Shula in the booth, and Shula, of course, not only coached in Baltimore, but had that undefeated season with Miami. And uh, he was in the booth during the game. It was just a real memorable uh, night for me. And uh, I think one one of the other ones is Favre going up against the Packers, and he was with the Vikings. Great shootout that we had that night. Favre in overtime uh, in Denver to beat the Broncos on the first play of overtime. And then one other was going to Detroit for a Monday night game and watching the Lions win there and get to 5-0 and at that point. They beat the Bears. And uh, living in Michigan and knowing how difficult the times have been for the city and for the Lions, uh, the noise that night, the excitement and atmosphere to get a Monday night game in Detroit, it had been over a decade, was just so neat and so fun to be a part of that night. And I know I was able to get my family that game. And but those are things that over the first seven years have uh, have stuck out uh, along the way. And the good news is that, you know, somehow, some way, some moment this year will be added to that list. That's just what happens uh, on the primetime games, whether they're Thursday nights or Sundays or Mondays over the years. Can I share one with you? Sure. All right. So I talked. I told you about the Gleason play. And, right. You know that's top two for me as a sports fan ever. Actually, probably top three because my brother won the national championship in hockey at Yale this year. So now that's oh up there great. Too. That was a great but, game too. Yeah, yeah. I was. They, I was they, that, that was one of those championships that you could enjoy because they had it in control in the, in the mid third period on. You, you might say you could enjoy, but believe that my brothers had so many second places that even up three <laughs> nothing with or four nothing with seven minutes left that it right. took forever to count down, but. <laughs> I'm sure everyone who listens to this show is like rolling their eyes right now. They're like, he's talking about this again. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Why not? Right. <laughs> but um, 2009 season, the year that the Saints won the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, they played a Monday night game against the Patriots. Uh, oh, yeah. I think it made the same. I want to say it was the 12 and 0 game. I want to say maybe 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 11 and 0, something like that. But uh, that night. I remember going into it thinking, you know, this is the team. This is the team you measure yourself against. The sure. Patriots, they're the team. They're the ones that have dominated this decade. And, and Brady and Belichick, that's what Breeze and, and Peyton want to be someday. And, right. And I remember uh, the Patriots got out to a, a – a, I think they scored right away almost, got out to a 7 nothing lead, and, and there was a little bit of doubt. But then the Saints started to pull away, and there was a specific oh. play, a Breeze to Devery Henderson touchdown yep. pass. And I remember when Henderson caught the ball – and as big as my TV and as bright and as great as these HD TVs are, I remember just looking at it and thinking, he's the only person in the whole entire yes. picture. Yes. Where is everyone? I can't believe this is happening. We're really this good. And I just remember that being just a, a huge <laughs> it, moment for me. It, it, it's, uh, it's, a game, it's a game that uh, certainly is a milepost uh, in that season for us as well. And I'll tell you one other thing about that game. I remember – in the fourth quarter, the Saints are on the field, and the game's well out of reach. Even you, watching your brother, would have felt comfortable <laughs> the, the, of the outcome. And we took a shot of Brady and Belichick standing it. next to each other. Mm-hmm. And maybe the play is at the, the left side 30. They're down at the right side 30. About, and they're just looking back at the play. And we started talking about it, and I remember when the play, when we cut back to the main camera to show the play, I uh, hit the talkback button and asked our producer, Jay Rothman, and our director, Chip Dean, hey, guys, can you pop that shot up again? Because that w- just froze in my mind. I could see it now. Those guys were looking out going, man, that 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 is what it feels like to be on the other end of one of these. 
because this is what we've done for so long to so often to other people, and somebody's doing it to us, and it's almost never done to us on national TV, on the road. I just remember that shot of the two of those guys next to each other and just uh, wondering what the next stage of the Patriots was. I, I remember that game very well. It's so many great memories in New Orleans. You know, Saints fans don't need an excuse for a party, and Monday night is uh, one that they've enjoyed using over the years for sure. And, you know, it's so funny you bring that up based on our, our conversation because that picture is a, a very famous picture now in Saints lore. You know, everyone who's a Saints fan <laughs> has that picture somewhere to look at on the bad days. Like, remember when we did this to Brady and yeah. Belichick? And, and the, the joy the, of sports. Yeah. It, it, it really is to, to be somewhere and knock down the big guy, you know. And, uh, you know, that that's something over the years that uh, has been the joy of this job for me, to be very honest, is meeting some of these people and getting to know them and uh, in in a professional way. I don't go to dinner with athletes. I don't hang out with athletes. It's not you know I'm I'm a guy in my mid forties. I don't need to be hanging out with twenty eight year old guys. But you you sit and talk to them in their meetings and and try to maintain some sort of a, a professional relationship with them. But it doesn't take too long to see why the Bradys and the Mannings and the breezes, and I'm going to start, and I'm not excluding Flacco and the other guys, I'm going to start to include Matt Ryan in that group too. You start to see Eli, I forgot, why they're so good. Because they're so analytical, smart, personable, uh, just solid people, and the people you want at the front of your organization. And over the time, you know, our meetings with Tom Brady were great. And I only bring it up because I saw something uh, on Twitter this morning as I was out taking a walk and getting a cup of coffee and I kind of going through my timeline and I saw something that the University of Michigan football program tweeted and it was a picture of Tom Brady standing in front of a team meeting this morning in Ann Arbor talking to the Michigan team and they usually hear from Brady but it's Brady Hoke their head coach right. but the Patriots are playing the Lions they're in Detroit and Tom, I'm sure got permission from Belichick, left early this morning to go make the hour drive to Ann Arbor and talk to the Michigan football team, a team that, you know, he was one of those guys 14 years ago. And you think, boy, can you imagine the guys in that room? You're sitting there waiting for Brady, and it's not Brady Hoke, but you get Tom Brady talking to you. And how cool it is in football that these guys get up to the top of the mountaintop, and when you talk to them, you connect and you understand why they're so good. And that just has stuck with me as I've covered the guys, like I mentioned earlier. Well, perfect, perfect way to end it right there. Uh, Mike Tirico, second time on the podcast. You can find him on Twitter, as he mentioned, at Mike Tirico. Uh, Monday Night Football, last preseason game tonight, and then they debut on Monday, September 9th, Philadelphia at Washington, Michael Vick versus hopefully RG3, who seems like he's on track to make his uh, debut. Thank you so much for doing this. I mean, it's a huge honor. We really appreciate it. Thank you for doing it a second time. Uh, Steve, my pleasure. Good luck to you. Have a good season, and I hope the Bills give you uh, a little bit to stay around for and root into November and December. It'll be fun to watch. Absolutely. It's great when that stadium is full in December. It makes living here so much better, you know? It, it, it makes those cold winters a little bit warmer. We Hopefully we can get back up there in the next year or two. Get them good and get back up there to uh, Buffalo. I have not visited the Anchor Bar in a while, so we can use one of those. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Good luck to you. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Steven Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonet Ocho Cinco, TJ Pushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. 
All right, five on fantasy for today, packed up with a bunch of stuff. We're getting closer and closer, I'm sure, to your drafts. Yeah, mine's uh, this Friday, so probably probably the day after you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, so we got drafts this week, this weekend. There's gonna be drafts next week, next weekend, all right up until that final day before the season starts. I'd imagine. You know what's weird about this season is uh, I kept feeling like my draft was really early. Like I know with your leagues. In the past, we would do it like the Wednesday before the Thursday game, which, which I perfect. think is the best day to do it. Right. Um, in a, I, I in like a perfect to, world. Right. I like to do it on a weekend because I like to have like the, the whole party for the draft thing. But still, I felt like my draft was really early this year. So will you be including a provisional rule to guard against season-ending injuries in the two? Yeah, I don't know. Games? I'm going to have to bring that up in my league. I, I made a note to myself to, to bring that up. I kind of like the idea of saying if you draft someone and they are put on IR before the start of the season, you can pick up someone from the same position on the same team if they're available. Yeah, if I did one, I think that's the way it would be. Because you can't just say my running back – got hurt for the year, or even my running back got hurt for six games. Like It would have to be a season-ending injury, and you couldn't just have somebody trying to think of a good example here, like someone with a good backup. Like if Spiller gets hurt. You can't just pick up Freddie Jackson if he went undrafted. If your player is like Arian Foster, who's done for the like, I like the idea that they're on the same team. So that's an idea for you if you're drafting early and you want to build in a little bit of injury protection. Someone had mentioned to us a rule about not allowing waivers if a player is suspended, and we see people getting suspended seemingly daily now. I kind of like that. I think you've got to build in the risk factor of potential suspensions when you make your picks. Yeah, you can't have provisions for that stuff. I, was, I almost had a rule where if you had guys that got suspended... I tried to figure out a way to like add a little extra money to the pool, and that was going to be if your guy gets suspended, you have to throw like a real life fine in to go to the winner at the end of the year or something like that. I like that. Um, yeah, but what I was what I found about the drafting as early as it seems this year is my draft is one calendar day earlier than it was last year, but the league must have started like Labor Day weekend last year, or Labor Day must have. Well, no, Labor Day is always a sun or a Monday. It Labor, just the feel, league always starts the. First Sunday after Labor Day. First Sunday after Labor Day. Well, that's the first full day. But then, of course, there's a Thursday game. Thursday before that. Right. And last year, that game was a Wednesday because of the convention. Oh, right, right. Yeah, it just feels like last year there wasn't as much time in between, but I must just be misremembering, if that's a word. All right, so last week we did a mock first round for PPR leagues, and today we're going to do a mock first round for standard scoring leagues. Uh, we're gonna assume you do a two-two and a flex. Sure. So you yeah, start a quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers, a tight end, and a flex. Uh, one point per ten yards rushing, receiving one for every twenty-five passing. Six points for touchdowns. Five points for passing touchdowns. Something like that, yeah. And uh, no points for catches. And I drafted Don drafted first last time, right. so I had ten and eleven. So this time, I'm going to draft first, so Don has 10 and 11. And with the first pick in the standard scoring mock draft from the University of Oklahoma, I select Adrian Peterson. Yeah, I don't think a lot changes at the very top of the draft. Uh, At this point, I'm going to... Although last week, I do believe I selected... Jamal Charles. I did. Okay. Number two. Um, I don't think I changed that much here. Uh, 
just instead of Jamal Charles, I'll take my hometown player and I'll take CJ Spiller. Uh, maybe there's a lot of sexy running backs at the top of the draft and he's the one that hasn't had any injury problems this preseason. So I'll take him. My, and I get to vote for a home or root for my hometown guy. My brother, Greg, who we mock in the open of this segment asked me today, who should I pick at number two? And I said Spiller to him and he was surprised. And I said, this is my logic. I think after Peterson, there's about five or six guys you could make a case for at that spot. Pick sure. the guy you like the best. Right. Why not? And that's a half PPR league. Spiller is going to get more. I mean, a lot of the guys at the top are decent PPR players to begin with. But Well, yeah, with I the agree. third pick, I will select from Texas Jamal Charles. No reason I don't think to, uh, to not pick him if I picked him second last time. Yeah, with the fourth pick, I will take Doug Martin. Uh, boy, you know what? I'll change that. I'm running up to the podium to change my vote. I'm going to take Ray Rice. Okay, the sticker didn't make the board, so you're good. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to take Ray Rice. That would not have been my choice earlier in the season, but there's just a little – we talked off to you. There's a little something about Doug Martin. I'm not sure what. He's left the game with a head injury already. I don't know. Something worries me about him a little bit. All right, I'll take Marshawn Lynch. I know I've been kind of down on him, and I don't love him necessarily, but I think he's great value right here, especially in a non-PPR league. Right. I don't think I can pass. Hmm. I'll take Doug Martin now. If I was going to consider him at four, I guess i got to take him at six. All right, then at seven, I think I feel all right enough about Foster's back to take him here. And this is where I diverge from the experts. I don't. I'm not going to own. I'm only in two leagues, but if I were in a league where I drafted eight, nine, I still don't think I would own Trent Richardson in any league. <laughs> You're in three leagues, by the way. Oh, right, right, right. I got this league too. Um, I might take Lashawn McCoy here. He's a riser. Yeah, he's moving up boards. I'm going to take Lashawn McCoy. I know it's not a PPR where he's really he's a riser, a really a riser, but I will take McCoy here over Trent Richardson. All right, I am going to uh, pick. Drew Brees here. That's pick nine. Pick nine. I uh, I guess my choice is between Brees, Johnson, and then one of the backs left. Um, it's not a PPR, so I'm going to wait on the wide receiver. I think there's a lot of depth there. And I think I like Rodgers or Brees better than the backs. And like I said last week, I like Brees more, so I'm going to break the Brees-Rodgers tie in my book that way. So it gives you two here. Yeah, I've probably never done this, but uh, we talked a bit off the air. 12-team leagues are a little bit tougher to draft. In a 10-team league, I feel like I can make up not having the running back by having potentially the best quarterback and receiver. I think with 10 and 11, I go Aaron Rodgers and Calvin Johnson. Uh, Would you have picked Breeze and Johnson if I took Rodgers at 9? Probably. Just I'm not a Trent Richardson guy. I I think he's a talented guy, but he can't stay healthy, and that's a, that doesn't look like a good team. Just out of curiosity, who is your number two rated wide receiver? It's close. In a PPR, I think I like Brandon Marshall a little bit better. I know his – he just gets so many targets, uh, and he's really the only guy that gets – he had a – I think in Cutler's start in the last preseason game, he had something like five catches on five targets. Like every pass Cutler threw was to Marshall in limited work. So – I like him a lot. A.J. Green, 
is a freak. He's more of a home run threat. He's so tiny, though. He always looks like he's going to be broken, but he'd be my number three. So it's not. It's like a 2A and 2B, but I would take Brandon Marshall in a PPR. Maybe Green in a standard because of I think he's got more potential for touchdowns. Is your next guy then Bryant? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't see how it couldn't be. And uh, then and then Randall Cobb in PPR. I, I think he's moved way up for me, uh, and you know he's going to touch the ball a ton. Good luck in your drafts this weekend. Next weekend, let us know how you did at sports underscore casters or thesportscasters at gmail.com. We asked you last week to send us your team tips, recommendations for fantasy sleepers on the teams you play for, and we got some. And I'm going to hold on to them. We'll give them all to you next week. Today, oh, okay. we're going to give you I have my cheat sheet out. I ready to make my notes. Well, I'll give you a couple then. All right. A couple, cool. of, uh, a couple of tips that I got. Uh, one tip that I got. Well, you know what? Let's do ours. Then I'll throw some tips. So what we're going to do is we're going to basically ask each other about our team. So I'm going to ask Don about the Bills. Don's going to ask me about the Saints. Go ahead, buddy. All right, I think the biggest question surrounding the Saints is probably the running back situation. And a PPR, Sproles is clearly the number one. Uh, is he the number one in standard as well? Well, here's the thing. He is probably the number one because even though you don't get points for those catches you in the standard, the you get points for those 70 touches that he's going to get more. Right. And I don't think that, barring an injury, I really think – Thomas and Ingram are going to kind of split first and second down. Okay. You know, and then Sproles is going to be the PPR, and he's also going to get drives where he's going to get. Will so, Ingram be that? I mean, he used to be thought of as the goal line back, quote unquote. He will get the goal line carries. Yeah. He got uh, he had one goal line attempt last week, and he converted a two-yard touchdown run. So in a standard league. You don't probably want Ingram or Thomas as much more than a flex. I think they both have they're both very draftable and they both have good backup value. They're both decent spot starts, but they're not going to be real impact players on your team unless one or the other gets injured. Do you want Sproles as your number two in a standard league? Even not, uh, he's more of a flex in a standard, but he's a top good end flex. two in a in a good flex, a top end two in a PPR. Yeah, he might be a low M one in a PPR. Um, who's their Who's their wide receiver two? Their wide receiver two is probably still Lance Moore. Okay, right. But Kenny Stills and Nick Toon are huge, huge upside guys. Either one or both of those guys could have huge years. I think both of those guys are. Guys, you should seriously consider as your fifth wide receiver if you draft that many. Uh, Stills had a tough first preseason game, had a huge bounce back last week, had a great touchdown catch. He gets deep. Uh, All right, maybe the better question for for you here is... Uh, I think four Saints wide receivers should be drafted. Colston, Moore, Toon, and Stills should all be drafted. Okay, my the question maybe should be better worded as at the end of the season... Because you probably could have made that argument with Meacham and Henderson when they were in the league, too, that right. one of them, if they get regular playing time, will probably be good in that offense. I mean, Breeze is going to throw for near 5,000 yards, if not more. Um, at the end of this season, will there be a fourth 
receiver, and I'm counting Jimmy Graham in there. So Jimmy Graham, Colston, and Lance Moore. Lance Moore. Will there be a fourth receiver that will have been worth owning? Or yes. will that be a reliable start? You think yes. one of them will? Kenny Stills will be. You think it's Kenny Stills. All yep. right. Um, and I guess Colston. If you have Colston as your number one receiver, you're I, probably not that happy about it. You better have good backs and a good tight end. I think Colston is the definition of a top number two fantasy wide receiver. All right. That's all I got. All right. Well, I wanted to ask you about the Bills and Manuel and whether or not you think he's draftable. And I'm still going to ask you that question. <laughs> it's more complicated now. In a 12-team league, do you draft EJ Manuel as a number two quarterback if that's the route you go? Yeah, I don't draft backup quarterbacks. I mean, maybe if I drafted like a Russell Wilson – or not Russell Wilson, sorry, uh, RG3. If I had an RG3, I think you might have to back him up. And the I problem still is might... you can't back him up with someone questionable with injury because right, he right. might not play week one. Yeah, I was going to say I'd still probably rather have like an Eli Manning as the backup for him. So, no, in most cases, probably not. If my league forces me to draft two, I am in a league that kind of pro- protects the owners from their own stupidity <laughs> a little bit and has real uh, strict roster spots. They require drafting two quarterbacks. If I had the 10th pick like we just did in that draft, and I took Rodgers and whoever I took, Calvin Johnson, I'm going to be set at quarterback for every game for the rest of the year. So maybe that's when I take a flyer on like an EJ Manuel. Maybe he blows up. Maybe it's trade bait. I know it's hard to trade quarterbacks because there's so many good ones. But do I think he gets drafted? Probably not because of the injury. But if you're in a two-quarterback league, I think he's very draftable because of the running ability too. Freddie Jackson is a guy who's interesting because we all know C.J. Spiller is going to take a huge jump, and we see that with where he's drafted. What value does that leave for Fred Jackson, if any? I think he has some value still. Um, He's getting drafted. I don't have his ADP in front of me, but I imagine he's getting drafted behind guys like Ryan. I might rather have him than D'Angelo Williams, who's a starter. Uh it's close anyway. You know what I mean? Like he's still going to be in the game. He's still going to be involved. Uh, a good point I heard made about him was you don't keep Fred Jackson around if you're not going to use him because he's, he's older. He's so, about- right. There's no reason just to have him there to have him there. So they're going to use him still. He's going to get touchdowns. He's pretty effective. At the end of last season, he seemed to get fumbled troubles a little bit, but he was crushed on a few of those hits. So assuming he's fully back from that, if you're the type to handcuff a running back, I think he's one of the higher-end handcuffs. So if you have C.J. Spiller and you're set on handcuffing a guy, I don't think there's a much better. If Spiller gets hurt, I think Fred Jackson still has solid number two running back potential. All right, and then the last thing, is there any wide receiver other than Stevie Johnson that you think can have an impact in fantasy? No, probably not. Not reliably. Uh, I, I bet you none of them get drafted, and if one comes out, Get him as a free agent. It's not like this isn't a Kenbrell Tompkins or uh, Corderell Patterson where they just might have explosive, explosive potential. I mean, maybe there's that guy in the Bills, but there's so many of them. Uh, The quarterback situation is a question mark at best. And uh, you won't need to draft any, any Bills running unless your league is super deep. I don't think you'll need to draft any. I guess if you're going to draft one in a PPR, maybe Robert Woods. I would assume that when all is said and done, he emerges as kind of the the possession guy. 
But uh, no, just I more of a guy to keep an eye on rather than draft. Yeah, I don't think I would be drafting any of them. All right, a couple of tips from the listeners. We got a tip from a Real Cowboys. Quick, the only thing yeah. I would say to add to that as well is uh, if your league uses defenses like team defense, and that defense gets points for Returns. special teams as well. Bills are. I huge. think the Bills are a sneaky play. I I think they're going to give up a ton of yards still this year. I think they might give up a lot of points still. And if you're not crushed for that, I think they could create a lot of turnovers with their new D coordinator. I think they could get a lot of sacks. And Marquis Goodwin looks he's legit. Fast. And he's fast. And uh, he's going to score a touchdown or two on punt and kick returns this year. Yeah, and Woods was returning punts at the game I was at and yeah. looked very good at yep. it too. So. so their special teams is going to be good. So if you get points for that and their defense is aggressive, so they might not end up with a great year on paper or in real NFL words, uh, but I think they could be a sneaky defensive pickup. All right, a couple tips we got from listeners. Uh, we got a listen, uh, tip from a Cowboys fan who says, DeMarco Murray's always injured, right? So if you're looking for the guy to pick up in case DeMarco Murray gets injured, it's definitely rookie Joseph Randall from Oklahoma State who has been kind of the, the highlight of training camp in Dallas. Um, we also got one from a Packers fan. This one came in on Twitter, and it said, Eddie Lacy all day. Don't even waste your time. Drafting Jonathan Franklin, he's a talent, but Lacey is the guy who's going to get the first crack. Yeah, he's been good. It just I think the biggest question there is, is that a team you can ever – is it like the Saints where you'll just never get points from a running back unless they're like a Sproles? Uh, another one um, from a Vikings fan. This one, I don't know if I buy it, but he says, I hear a lot of people really down on Greg Jennings, people saying that there's no quarterback here to throw to him, but I still think Jennings is going to have a lot of value. Someone has got to catch passes for this team, and if it's not Rudolph, it'll be Jennings. Yeah, I'm down on Rudolph this year just because of how touchdown dependent his. He got a lot of targets in the game were. I was at. Did he? Uh, but yeah, a lot of his points were from touchdowns last year, and he put up a lot of goose eggs. So I, I'd be afraid of Rudolph a little bit. But I mean, the caller or caller, the listener does have a point. Even terrible quarterbacks throw for what? 3,000 yards. Right. And someone has to get, get those him. yards. Yeah. So if you could pick the right guy, well, I guess why not Jennings? And then one more here. I think people are underrating Torrey Smith. He's being drafted like a, a low two or high three wide receiver. I think he could be a high two or low one wide receiver. Wow. If he's a low one, people be, a lot of people be wrong on him. I He's basically rated 28th on ESPN.com's composite rankings. Yeah. They got him 30 in PPR. Behind like Cecil Shorts and Pierre Garcon, and that's probably Cecil Shorts is probably the same mentality as the other listener had about Jennings. Is someone's got to catch the balls there, and he was good last year. All right, that's it for Five on Fantasy today. We'll be back for more of this good stuff next week. We're going to take a break and come back with the guys from the Audible's blog, Chris Burke and Doug Farrar. All right, our next guests are the hottest new tag team in NFL blogging. They run the Audible's blog at si.com, which you can find by simply typing in nfl.si.com. They are Chris Burke and Doug Farrar. How's it going, guys? 
Outstanding. Good, man. Let's do a, let's do a little uh, voice check here for the listeners. So Chris Burke is a guy, a Michigan guy, who's been on the show several times. I know everyone knows what's going on, Chris. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, I uh, am like the guy that stands in the corner and lets Doug go and do the dirty work, and then I jump in at the end and, uh, you know, fly off the ropes and hammer someone. That's my job. We got a fantastic wrestling, wrestling analogy going on here. So, Doug, what's going on, Doug? Welcome. Uh, you've only been on the uh, Football Nation version of the podcast, so this is your first time on the Sportscasters proper, as we call it. So welcome, and thank you for doing it. That is correct, yes. Uh, so let's start with this. Uh, how did this kind of come to be? I know, Chris, you were doing Audible's blog for SI, and Doug, you were doing the Shutdown Corner blog at Yahoo. So I guess this is probably more a Doug question. How did it end up that you were at SI and working on this? Or maybe it's a Chris question as, as the other side of it. Was it something where you felt like the blog to, to get the full potential needed a second person? Or how did this whole thing come about? Uh, well, I'm not sure. I don't know if they talked to anyone else before me. Um, I know that my after four years, my time at Yahoo came to an end in early July, and it's kind of a mutual thing. And I was looking for something new. And of course, you know, month and a half before the season is not the time to find a new gig. But there you are. And I talked to some great people at SI. Talked to Chris, and it just seemed like a natural fit. And, of course, when you add the Sports Illustrated name in there, it's like, whoa. And I, I st- I'm two and a half weeks into the, the actual job, and I still kind of giggle when I think about it. Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Right. Chris, I'm sure that's happened to you, too. Um, it's been a great yeah. fit. Chris is awesome to work with. And uh, the, the nice thing about this, I mean, I, I loved a lot of what we did at Shutdown Corner, but what I really enjoyed about Audible's and the SI experience overall these guys let you sit down and analyze tape, and, and really, they want your original voice. I mean, you, it's still a blog, and you still have to be buzzy, and you still have to go for paychecks. That's the reality for everyone. But I'm really, because everyone says, oh, we want you to be original and unique, and then a lot of times that falls away. I really appreciate the fact that SI seems to stick to the mission on a day-to-day basis. So, Chris, what do you like so far about working with Doug and what he brings to the blog and what will make it better because of having Chris this year or well, having I think, Doug? I mean, for starters, it, it, for me, it was, you know, the MMQB launched you know, Peter King's massive, uh, spectacular football site under the Sports Illustrated banner. And so I, the last few months leading up to that, you know, I had kind of been reassured that, you know, uh, Audible's was going to have its place on the site, that it was going to be important on the uh, SI site with MMQB kind of breaking off and doing its own thing. Um, and I wasn't 100% sure they meant that until they came to me and said they were bringing Doug on. Um, and obviously people are familiar with his work. Uh, he brings a, a big, you know, base of readers that follow his stuff at Yahoo. Uh, and for me, I think it just started with, you know, knowing that they were going to commit to Audible's as sort of the go-to on the regular SI.com site. Uh, and, you know, it, it, not only does it obviously ease some of the burden off me, I, I had been doing Audible's on my own for two-plus seasons, you know, and it was fun. It was a phenomenal opportunity. I loved it. But, you know, it's hard to cover as much as you want to cover when there's only one of you. And, you know, days I was off, the site really didn't even get uh, updated. So, 
Um, just from that point alone, it was nice to have a second guy. And then, you know, as Doug mentioned, he's obviously great with film breakdowns, um, you know, knows people in the league, can do draft stuff. I mean, it, he's <laughs> it's not like we brought it in uh, a guy that's learning the ropes. He certainly knows as much or more than I do about the NFL. So, uh, you know, it's, like you said, it's only been two and a half weeks, so I think we're still kind of finding our footing. But uh, so far it's been great, and I think we'll probably do some pretty terrific things once the season gets rolling. You know, I kind of wanted to ask you guys about Monday morning QB and kind of like the overall picture at SI, and you kind of answered some of it, but I guess kind of for both of you, like where do you guys see the Audible's blog what what role do you see the Audible's blog having in Sports Illustrated's overall coverage of the National Football League? What, like, what is it that you guys hope that people will zone in on Audible's for when they come to SI for football content? Uh, I think, uh, you know, I, as I was sort of hinting at, I think the the main idea is that MMQB is going to be, it's, uh, you know, sort of what it is now and what we've seen it be since it launched, which is, you know, there's some phenomenal football minds there uh, and people that really excel at doing some digging and, and doing more um, kind of the long-term uh, big-picture feature stories. And I think on our side, you know, that kind of gives us a little more freedom to do pretty much everything else. I mean, I think we've already done, you know, we've done a ton of the film breakdowns already since Doug's been on. Uh you know, I've been going through draft stuff for the last two weeks on the site. Um, and then we've kind of been splitting up, you know, the news and reactions portions of training camp and the preseasons. And I think that'll continue on into the year. So I think uh, it's still kind of being hammered out a little. But to, from my perspective, I think we have pretty free range to do whatever we, whatever comes into our heads on Audible. Anything there, Doug? Yeah, from my perspective, I think, and Chris understands this most certainly, and I understand it from my time at Yahoo, Running when you run a mass market football blog, you need to react to news. But the, the thing I always tried to do as the editor of Shutdown was, okay, we're going to report it, but we're not just going to aggregate. We're going to tell people why. And, again, that's been the mission here, and that's a lot of what we do. You know, if... If Blaine Gabbard actually looks good in the game, well, we're going to break it down for you. If, uh, you know, Chris wrote a thing about the John Bostic hit and the NFL's ridiculous fine for that against B.J. Swearinger hit on uh, Dustin Keller that wasn't fine. And I think for us, because I, I've talked to Peter about the MMQB site. He's been a, a friend and a mentor for a couple of years, and he's just a... a He's he's big enough to be a jerk, but he isn't. He's just a really great person. <laughs> and the way he put it to me when I asked him about the site was, we want to think, in, they want to think entirely outside the box. And he has built up the equity in this business to be able to do so. To my mind, what Audible's is, is, okay, you're going to think outside the box? That's great. But there's still a box, and I guess we're in charge of the box now. Is how I look at it. Beautiful. So, like, when you, have you guys sat down at all and said, okay, like, these are some goals we have for this season. Like, these are some things. Like, obviously, you guys and me and Chris talked about this about what a great job I think Chris does on the draft. And obviously, you guys are already getting into that way ahead of the game. You know, if I think 
right now I can't think of another place where I can get as good draft, con- draft content as I can at Audible. Are there some other things you guys really want to do, series-type things, over the course of the next couple of months? I think from my perspective, it's it's really reacting to things in season. Uh, Chris has a Chris has his break it down idea, and I have my all twenty two idea, and we're going to sort of merge those things. Where break it down is kind of okay. This play happened. Let's analyze the all twenty two is is more of an overview. And I see us as the kind of site that through the season. And a few guys do this. Uh, Matt Bowen, who just signed up with Bleacher Reporters, is one of the best examples. Uh, the stuff I've done with Greg Cosell before and hopefully will continue to do. But I think a lot of what I would love us for, for us to do, and Chris and I have discussed this a little bit, is not just reacting quickly on the fly to, oh, Mark Sanchez stinks. Well, everyone you know, kind of knows that so far. Why? Was it the blocking? Was it the receivers? You know, it, what did he do? And I think also to take away from the, you know, like yesterday you had a bunch of stories hitting with Bond Miller suspension, and there are some places that still lead with the Jets quarterback competition. And, yes, we're going to cover that stuff when it's relevant, but I really I would love for us to follow a bit of the MQB's outside-the-box idea by not following where everyone else is going. Um, I, I go back to the fact that I don't just want us to aggregate. Uh, I want us to develop and discover, and Chris has already been doing that to a fantastic degree before I ever came on. Um, he's way ahead of me on college players this year, I can tell you that. I don't really start with those guys until I hit the senior bowl. So I, I think another thing that really makes this work is that Chris and I are equally devoted to deep analysis, but we do it in different ways and we sort of focus on different things. We're not the same guy, and I think that's why it works. Do you guys have any specific plan for how you're going to handle Sundays? Is there any kind of specific thing you guys want to do on Sunday? Are you guys just going to kind of lay back and pick it up on Monday? Or kind of what's the plan when the football world is watching the games unfold in bulk? Uh, We actually have a a meeting earlier or later today to sort of hammer out some of these things. Yeah, Uh, see, I read you guys' mind. I mean, I think it's still a, as I said, about sort of the whole thing. It's kind of a work in progress. I mean, we last year we, with just myself, it was you know we do that sort of reaction to big news that happened during the day, you know, injuries, what have you, and then uh, you know something off the night games Sunday, Monday night, and obviously kind of uh, something wrapping everything together. Um, and I think we'll probably do some of that still. I mean, there's certainly more uh, ability for us to cover ground now with two people. So, um, you know, whether that turns out to lend itself to uh, reacting to more specific stuff that happens on the field or whether it gives us a chance to sort of explore uh, a little more, as that was in, you know, with the film or with, highlighting specific players, specific games. Uh, I mean, I, at least I'm not positive what we figured it out quite yet. I maybe, maybe Doug has more insight into that than I do, but I think we'll, you know, I, it'll probably be one of those things where we go into week one with an idea and then we go into week two with a better idea. Doug? 
Well, me being on the West Coast, I usually wake up every Sunday uh, in season at uh, 3 in the morning, uh, <laughs> take a couple of fireball shots, about a gallon of coffee. No, I'm kidding about the fireball shots. Those are for later. Um, I, I, you know, there's a there's sort of two different ways the NFL is covered right now. There's the, the shutdown corner pro football talk version, which is the quick hit, quick hit. We're going to cover everything and give you 100 words in a video. And that's kind of the splashy flying monkeys approach, and it works. Uh, the other side is we're going to sit there and watch all day, and then we're going to write a game story for Sunday night for the entire league. Uh, and that works, too. I think, you know, for us, I, I would maybe foresee something where we're doing these are, you know, these are the takeaway stories of the day pretty quickly. Um, and usually, I mean, I... I me, unless I'm at the a pre, I'm in a press box for a Sunday, I'm at home in front of Red Zone uh, pretty much the whole time. And it's just, okay, well, this was a stupid play or this was a funny play, and maybe that has traction based on a player's history. But I, I mean, for me, and, and we're still working this out, like Chris said, it's what are the compelling stories of the day from – from the early games through Sunday Night Football, you know, and it could be it, it could be anything, but it's not so much we're going to cover everything. It's more we're going to cover everything relevant, and it's a very broad sort of idea, and it's just a matter of, okay, what does that actually mean? So, it, you know, it's, as Chris said, it's something where you go in with a plan week one, and uh, as Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan until they get hit. And uh, I guess we'll see what happens when we get hit. <laughs> the sportscasters are here with Chris Burke and Doug Farrar, the Audible blogs at SI.com, which you can find by typing in NFL.SI.com. Uh, you can find both of these guys on Twitter. I think it's at Chris. Help me out, guys. What are your Twitters? Throw them out so everyone can, uh, can get you on there, too. Uh, I'm at Chris Burke underscore SI. Doug? I'm at at. SI underscore Doug Furrow. Gotcha. Okay, just a couple things on the league, and then I'll let you guys go. I know you got a lot of work to do. It's a busy time for everyone here covering the league. Um, Doug, you're out west. Does Seattle is Seattle as frightening as sort of they appear to be? Well, it certainly looked like that against the Broncos. My goodness. Um, I was in the box for that one, and it's preseason and all, but certainly... Pete Carroll and Josh Taggart have done a fairly amazing job in three years, this coming to their fourth year, because former GM Tim Ruskell left them with basically Brandon Meebane and nothing. And they've done a, a, a really nice job of building that thing back up. Problem for them in season is that their schedule is absolutely horrific. Um, not only is the NFC West stacked to the gills, they've got the NFC South. I mean, it's going to be really tough. Uh, I, I think they will unload the offense a little bit more like they did at the end of the season with Russell Wilson. I think he's proven that he can handle whatever defenses throw at him. Uh, their defense looks very strong. Their running game, I mean, they've got their backs, the teams in this league with, with no options at running back, and you look at Seattle, they've got Marshawn Lynch, Robert Turbin, Christian Michael, Spencer Ware, uh, Michael Robinson. I mean, it's just it, they're, they're very stacked. The Percy Irvin injury hurts them a little bit, but you know, they won 11 and 5 without Harvin. I think Sidney Rice, who has been shut down, I think, for the preseason, has had multiple injury concerns. That might be a bigger deal. 
but certainly you have to look at Seattle as, if not a prohibitive, certainly uh, they're in the mix for that Super Bowl favorite idea. You know, maybe something a little bit more general I should have thrown at you guys is, are there any specific things going into the season that you guys are really looking forward to, to seeing play out? Any specific storylines or teams that you guys are really interested in, in covering and that you think that as the stories develop will find a big place on the Audible's blog? Uh, I mean, I think all the new coaching, obviously Chip Kelly is going to get a ton of attention this year. I, I mean, for me, I'm up here in Michigan, so I'm in the NFC North country, and I think that's a fascinating division, really. I mean, the Calvin Johnson-Reggie Bush duo in Detroit, you know, can Christian Ponder get over the top in Minnesota? What's Mark Tressman's going to offense going to look like in Chicago? I mean, I think everyone sort of expects Green Bay to win that division, but uh, it, it's going to be a fun division to watch, and there's... There won't be any shortage of storylines there. Uh, arguably, have maybe the two best offensive players in the league, maybe the three best offensive players in the league, and Rodgers, Johnson, and Peterson in that division. So, um, I'll certainly keep my eye on on those teams as the season starts. Doug, uh, for me, I think the overriding story I'm going to be looking at is all these defensive coordinators and line coaches and linebackers coaches have gone literally back to school and they're consulting with all these colleges on how are we going to stop the read option? How are we going to stop the pistol? How are we going to stop the zone option? All these running quarterbacks and all the crazy stuff they're doing, blah, blah, blah. And the Green Bay Packers especially um, have consulted with a number of college coaches and other teams have too. And some coaches will tell you this is the flavor of the month. I don't think it is. I don't think this is another wildcat. I think between the read option and the pistol and, and all the things that people are doing, mixing the mill huddle, the way certain teams are using it now, I think it's here to stay. And the ways in which defenses will try and break it down, because hit the quarterback sounds easy until you try and catch him. And I'll be very interested to see schematically how defenses try and stop this. I mean, I mean, for example, the Dallas Cowboys hired Monty Kiffin, who couldn't stop the read option when he was in the Pac-12. Well, he's got this guy, Robert Griffin, who last I heard is pretty good, and there's this Chip Kelly guy up in Philadelphia who might have a few wrinkles. Um, I, so in, in an overall general sense, I, just, I want to see how defenses try and stop it. I want to see the new wrinkles. To me, that's schematically that's the overwhelming narrative of this season. Is what you know? What do you, what do these teams do for an encore, and what do defenses do to try and stop it? Well, again, it's the Audible's blog at si.com, which you can find very conveniently by simply typing nfl.si.com. You can find Doug on Twitter at si underscore Doug Farrar f a r r a r, and you can find Chris on there as well at Chris. Burke with an E underscore SI. Uh, thanks a lot for taking the time out to do this. We're really looking forward to seeing how the blog progresses over the season, and hopefully we'll talk to both of you again soon. All right. Thanks a lot, man. All right, I want to thank all the guests for being on the show today. I want to remind you to check out our work at www.sports-casters.com. Find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters and email us, thesportscasters at gmail.com. I got one more thing, and that is 
this is a terrible set of weeks here for sports fans. Uh, I'm trying to decide which is worse. This week, leading up to your fantasy drafts, where you're kind of excited about football, but there's no football on and you haven't yet drafted, or the weeks following your sports or your fantasy football draft where you just want real football to start and you have to sit there and hope your players don't get injured. Uh, I'm not a baseball guy, but when I brought this point up to Steve off the air, he suggested even if you were, there's no races this year. So in years that there's not a good race, then you're just kind of waiting for the season to end and uh, you're discussing guys plunking other guys for using steroids rather than pen or playoff races. And so you're just waiting around for the playoffs now. There's a lot of waiting around and excitement, I suppose, and a lot of nothing. I mean, we couldn't – the highlight we used was a preseason goal line stand. Right. To come into the show. We didn't have a golf tournament. We didn't have a baseball game. Yeah, the golf majors are over. It's yeah. not quite time for the U.S. Open in tennis. That's still it's just another nothing. week away. Can't wait. Can't wait for Friday for my draft to kind of get a little bit of real football feel back. All right, one last thing. The other day was Sunday, was SummerSlam, which Ooh. when I was young was one of my favorite days of the summer because it always meant it was almost time for my birthday and you know football starting and I love the fall and the hot weather's going away, which I'm not a big fan of. And I, I love SummerSlam and uh, I don't really have a SummerSlam point to make, but I did want to <laughs> congratulate a guy from the WWE named Darren Young who is the first wrestler that I know of that is active in the company to come out of the closet. Really? Yeah. Uh, Darren Young in a TMZ video said, absolutely, look at me. I'm a WWE superstar, and to be honest with you, I'll tell you right now, I'm gay, and I'm happy. I'm very happy. So congratulations to Darren for having the guts in what I imagine has to be a really tough environment. Uh, so Definitely a, a sports entertainment where you would expect it to be very macho and uh, probably a really difficult place to take that bold step and to be the first. So congratulations to Darren, and I hope it works out. 